Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Callan FM. With me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. And the business news this week has been varied, to say the least, but bubbling through all of it, of course, has been the B word. Um, Maybe we are progressing towards some sort of decision. Who knows? Who knows? But um, in a week where Facebook and Instagram suffered the biggest outage they've ever experienced, when Jaguar Land Rover has recalled 44,000 cars over emissions issues, and when the uh, job interview robot who won't judge you, Tengai, um, has been launched out into the into the world, we thought that we'd go right the way back to basics and look at the Chancellor's Spring Statements. Yay! Sometimes it's interesting. Sometimes. (laughs) I I don't use the word basic lightly. It's sort of snuck in under the radar and it's it's remarkably dull, to be fair. Yes, even by the standard of spring statements. So, yeah, yeah, usually it's been used to announce something new, a new policy or a new tax, but... uh, no, this year um, even less. So it, it was largely used to um, to comment on the current state of the economy, and uh, a review of um, um, something that was published yesterday by the Office for Budget Responsibility, um, and also looking at uh, Brexit. But then that's almost impossible to look at because we don't really know what what it's going to be, when it's going to be, how it's going to happen. So, yes, it was a little light, wasn't it? it but was. there were a few little interesting a things little, in it. A little few nuggets sort of hidden away. I think, in fact, you found a list of things that were that were very well hidden. <laughs> yes. So in HuffPost, there was um, uh, an article called Things That Were Buried in the Statement. So... Um, and, and these were things, presumably, that uh, the government uh, didn't didn't want to trumpet too too loudly. Business investment growth has been falling consistently and is now the weakest in the G7. And I think, um, you know, from the news that we've been talking about over the last few weeks, last few months, that that's sort of been obvious, hasn't mm-hmm. it? Um, trade will fall after Brexit. Um, I think the friction between Britain and European Union and and looking at all of the uncertainty, then, yeah, I think it's going to be a volatile few months, to say the least. And also um, the OBR report that I talked about before has revised growth predictions for the UK economy uh, downwards. So, yes, the things that were hidden were uh, not really the good things. Um, And I I don't think that we can add much more to those, really, apart from it's looking a little bit gloomy at the moment. However, there are some other interesting things in there, if if you care to look. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things uh, um, regarding tech companies. You know, we we mentioned Facebook um, uh, and the outage that they were experiencing yesterday. And I'm sure that there'll be people listening who were affected by that. But of course, you know, these big tech tech companies who are um, not paying their fair share, so to speak. So um, the Chancellor has said that they will take those companies to task and make sure that they are paying what they should be paying. Um, He's committed a a three billion pound funding pot to help deliver 30,000 affordable homes. Now, my cal- my calculator on my phone wouldn't let me put in enough noughts, but <laughs> £3 billion on 30,000 homes, uh, that 
seems like quite a big chunk of money for quite a small return. So I don't know I, I where that sometimes worry at these is, is what you define as affordable. I think it varies enormously to- around yes. the country and depending on who you ask. That's true. That's true. Um, but, but the cynic in me makes me recognise that very often affordable homes are built um, as part of a planning application for other developments uh, you know let us build this here and we'll stick 30,000 uh, we'll, we'll stick a thousand affordable homes somewhere else within the county so um slight being slightly cynical there but the thing that caught my eye that i will be awaiting is the appointment of uh, and i'm going to try and read the name of this individual but i'm going to fail miserably i don't know if you want to take a well I, i've got the name it. in front of me and i go would on. go at arindajit doob yeah something like that anyway he, he's um <laughs> I, I i i guess it professor I guess it's, he's a professor yes yeah he or she is a professor and is is um is going to carry out a review into the impact of um, minimum wage and how that actually uh, makes a difference to business, how it makes a difference to the individuals who are earning a minimum wage. And it's a report that the terms of reference have been set out, um, but no work has been undertaken yet. But I will be watching that and reporting back on that when that's published, because I think that will be a really interesting one to see what evidence there is to suggest that minimum wage has a positive income, a, a positive impact on society and on and on business. So I, I've found a couple of nuggets that are um, relevant to businesses. Um, we've got the apprenticeship levy. So mm. there was a, an update made to the reforms that were announced in the budget last year. So from the 1st of April, employers' co-investment rate has been cut from 10% to 5%. So that's good news for companies looking to invest in training. Uh, making tax digital is going ahead as planned. Uh, no changes there. 1st of April, everybody making tax digital for your VAT. Um, then large companies here, this is uh, relevant if you're working for a large company with an audit committee, you will be required to report on the company's payment practice and performance. Now, large companies do have a requirement to report on their payment practices. They've had this in place for um, 12 to 18 months now. But you're actually going to have to disclose it in your company's accounts now. And it the idea is that it will help small businesses feel more informed when dealing with larger businesses. I don't know if it goes beyond anything more than being informed that you won't mm-hmm. be paid very quickly. That is still to be. I'd, I'd, I'd welcome uh, a review of this in, in 12, maybe 18 months or so to see if it's actually changed businesses, mm. payment practices, because reporting on it is one thing. Yeah. But as it actually had an outcome... Caring what you're yeah. reporting on. Yeah, yeah. Are, are they bothered? Yeah. Uh, and then there was, they've announced um, a consultation to explore high streets. So we've talked about the, uh, the evolution of high streets on the show many times. So there's this new consultation. I don't know how long it's going to take and how much it's going to cost, but they're looking into how local areas can make better use of the tools available to them to plan high streets including compulsory purchase orders, local development 
orders and other innovative planning measures, apparently. Uh, so that that's pretty much all I found. There's um, some policies about speeding up the shift to a cleaner economy and re- reducing emissions by small businesses. It's just a launch, um, launching a call for evidence at this stage. So there's no policy yet. So they're just information gathering at the moment. So that was the spring statement. I'm sorry there wasn't anything earth shatteringly exciting. I'm afraid we just have to wait and see as with everything else at the moment related to uh, government and uh, business. So we just seem to have the pause button set, don't we, at the moment? (laughs) Here's hoping we get some more certain news over the next couple of weeks. Last week, HM Revenue and Customs made unannounced visits to estate agents in a crackdown on money laundering. Now, I understand that this is the first week of action involving intelligence-led, coordinated activity aimed specifically at estate agents trading without registering registering with HM Revenue and Customs as legally required. The visits involved the inspectors questioning the businesses to establish whether they were trading in breach of the regulations and then inspectors assessed whether any further action was required. If you're an estate agent, then be prepared. Specific guidance is available on money laundering regulations specifically for estate agents. It's available on the HMRC pages of gov.uk. And if you just go on gov.uk and look for estate agency and money laundering, you'll find the document there. Also, Google is urging Windows 7 users to move to Windows 10 following the discovery of another security flaw. And a lot, I know a lot of IT providers are stopping supporting Windows 7 sometime this year. So if you are using um, Windows 7 or, God forbid, anything older than Windows 7, then please do consider upgrading now. Now, something that happened this week was the um, the consumer price inflation basket of goods and services was updated. Now, it's a shopping basket of items used to compile the various measures of UK consumer price inflation. So you'll have all heard of RPI, which is the old measure. They call it a legacy measure, which uh, measures the um the the prices that people pay for their products. However, the new one is called CPI. Uh, It was actually brought out in 1997, so it's not that new. Uh, And there's also one called the CPIH, which includes owner-occupiers' housing costs and council tax. Regardless of all of these definitions, it's actually really interesting to see how they make up the basket of items. And not just from a, a you know a sort of buying these things point of view and understanding what what CPI and RPI are, but because they've done an awful lot of research and um, they've got the statistical research to back it up as to why they've chosen these products. And in the articles that um, the Office for National Statistics publish, that they say why they've put things in and taken things out, which I think is can really inform you. If you're looking for a market sector to trade in and they've taken your particular product oh, out, yes, out of, of the basket, yes. you might want to be concerned. So, for example, smart speakers such as um, Amazon Echo or Google Home have gone into the basket. 
bakeware has gone in. Um, and that's because um, all of the various television cookery programmes. Oh, my goodness, yeah. So they've reflected those changes over the recent years. Flavoured teas have gone in. And this is because of the shelf space that is devoted to them in supermarkets. Which is massive. Which is, ma- yeah. I mean, I like flavoured tea, but crikey. So, and it's not just based on, oh, I like flavoured tea. Yeah. They've actually gone and done the, the research to mm. show this movement in shelf space. Yeah. Um, peanut butter has been introduced to the basket. Okay. And this is because they wanted to improve the coverage of oils and fats in the basket. Electric toothbrushes have been added to improve the representation of electrical appliances in the personal care class. Children's fiction suitable for six to 12 year olds has been added to close the gap between children's books and teenage literature. So they've added this one in between. Now, here's one that surprised me. Non-leather sofas have replaced three piece non-leather suites. So three piece suites are out. Individual items are in. Oh, yeah. Oh, dinner plates have replaced crockery sets. Because people are buying individual art, um, crockery items now rather than traditional sets. See what I mean? So if you yeah. were making furniture, you might be thinking, oh, I'd I best start making these three-piece suites now because yeah. the trend is towards these individual items. Or if you're making crockery, going for the individual items rather than the, than the complete set. That's good, isn't it? Yes. And yes. um Washing liquid or gel has been brought in instead of washing powder and dog treats have been added in place of dry dog food as the balance of spending is shifted between the two. So I find that fascinating. I like statistics, you know that. That's a bit bit of a character flaw of mine, perhaps. <laughs> but I think when, when you look into these sorts of trends, it really can help to inform your own decisions in, in business. I think what would be really interesting is to go back and look at what the basket was when I was a kid, you know, or, you know, when I was, I don't know, you know, even 30 years ago. Yeah. You know, well, when you say interested, are you interested enough to delve into the ONS archives to find it? Because well, it will be there. I think I might be, particularly if there's a picture of it. OK. <laughs> I doubt it. I don't see many pictures on the ONS no, website. No, they're not great on pictures, are they? <laughs> Lots not of great. numbers. <laughs> Lots of spreadsheets. But Heather, I'm going to challenge you then. Find it for next see week. See if I can find Okay. All right. F- find an old basket. And see what's in it. Yeah. Yeah. Because, it, yes. It, cause it, yeah. Okay. Right. Um, talking of the ONS, um, I've, got, I've got some events for you. Um, and this one, although it's not strictly business related, I just... It, dropped into my mailbox literally this morning and I thought oh I'm going to mention that um, the Office of National Statistics and the Census Office um, are joining forces the next set public census is 2021 and they are running a number of they're running like a little road show um, a number of events where they are talking about the census and and the ONS and and what it means and how it works etc etc and they're coming to Wrexham Next Thursday um, at the Ramada, uh, it's, a, it's, it's nine till four, I think it is. And they will have experts from different um, fields uh, in terms of um, population and migration statistics, which I think would be really interesting. Um, census outputs, um, census geography, 
social survey division, all you know, all sorts of things. Uh, and they're running these small sort of workshops. So developing the census address register and they're doing a bit of a quizzy one. So you can test your knowledge about what you think you know about the census um, and census outputs and dissemination. Because, of course, inevitably, the data that is gathered has value, has use and is in. It, it is interesting for business. Um, it's it's free to attend. Spaces are limited. Um, but you, if you literally just go along to Eventbrite and look for census, um, <clears throat> ONS, census 2021, you will find the event. Okay, moving on to other events. When I'm trying to find events for you, I often come across a website and I've come across downtowninbusiness.com. They have regional websites for Birmingham, Cheshire, Lancashire, Leeds, Liverpool, London and Manchester. And the events that they have are are just a little bit different. Uh, For example, Cheshire, um, 3rd of April, healthcare and life science in space. Um, Transport and logistics in space. Um, a leader's lunch with Sir Howard Bernstein, uh, various um, just slightly unusual events. There's usually a guest speaker or a theme, um, opportunity for networking. And I think it's it's a website that's worth having just on your, your list of um, websites to check occasionally for events. That's downtown in business. Uh, and then I have for you the Greater Manchester Business Expo. I think I've mentioned this before. It's taking place in Bolton, but it is looming nearer. It's on the 17th of May at Bolton Arena. Uh, You can exhibit. There is still time to exhibit. um, Or, of course, you can attend networking opportunities, seminars, and, of course, all of the exhibitors. And an exhibition is always a great way to go and meet people. Um, It's a free event. You just need to register via Eventbrite. And finally, coming up later in the year, uh, there is the business, the Midlands Business Network Expo. Excuse me. It's taking place at Aston Villa Football Club in Birmingham. And it's if you want to expand your business into the West Midlands, then this is a great place to attend. It's 10 till 3. Um, Again, networking opportunities, um, exhibition, um, exhibitor opportunities, uh, lots, lots of lots of content that is valid and a great way to get to meet people. When Tracy suggested that we review this week's book, um, I wasn't entirely sure what I was letting <laughs> myself in for. Um, I'm used to, you know, quirky titles for, for business books, but this one... Pig wrestling um, got me wondering. Now, as it can wa- I just ask that the first time you knew that we were reviewing this was when you were listening to the show last week. Uh, yes, <laughs> yeah, yes, because I wasn't here last week. I, I was not. I was not very well. Um, yeah, so I was listening in bed, and and I heard this, and I'm going to let you into a secret about the book that we're reviewing next week. And I thought, well, this is going to be interesting. I wonder what that is. I wonder what it could possibly be. Anyway, as it turned out, Tracy had a copy. I didn't have a copy, um, so we we were being very efficient, and we and we swapped copies. I now have my copy. I think that's all the review you need. Yeah, Heather bought the book. But yeah, having I literally took it home, read the first. 
third of it and I thought I need to own this book. Um, it's written by two men, Peter, Pete Lindsay and Mark Borden. And it's it's pig wrestling, the brilliantly simple way to solve any problem and create the change you need. Tracy, where on earth did you hear about this book? I really don't remember, but something about it caught my eye. Not least uh, there's a, a pink pig's bottom on the front, on the front cover, front cover. Yeah, with a nice curly tail. Yeah. And I have to admit that the price point was uh, a big decider because obviously we, we review a lot of books here and we've gone through everything that's on our shelves and we're at the point now where we're having to buy new books. All so donations if you are a, gratefully yeah, accepted. If you are a publisher, you want to, uh, us to review anything, please. So uh, this this was £5 and I, I ordered it and thought, you know what, that, that looks interesting and it's cheap. Yes. <laughs> and also the other selling point being totally honest here, is on the back it said you can read it in under an hour. I didn't. It took me quite a bit longer than an hour. But I think that's because I, I kept stopping to to highlight things in the book. And maybe if I'd have just sat down and, and read it all in, in one go, it would have been an hour. So I don't know. I, th- I think I must have seen it on that big online retailer that sells books and things mm-hmm. um, and I just it, it just caught my eye did you find that you know the whole read it in an hour thing did you find that you'd read some of it and then you'd want to go and google that bit and find out a bit more about so for example he he, he talks about using um, storytelling which I know you are a great fan of um, and and it helps. It helps to take you on a journey through a book, I guess. Um, but he talks about um, the memory technique where you visualize a room, for example, yeah. and you remember certain elements because of where you position them within the room. And I knew about that, but I didn't know what it was called. Um, but it's called Loci, L O C I, which I didn't know. So I'm like, oh, what's that? Okay. And so then I go off and Google that and find out a bit more about it and it, and then write some little squiggles on the page, you know. And it, it, So, yes, you could read it in an hour, but you can't immerse yourself in it. But is this why benefit. you bought the book? And which, which is why I think I needed to own the book. I think if I'd have read this on Kindle, I perhaps wouldn't have the same thing. But you can see from this, I've written in it. I've turned over pages. Yeah. And and it is that sense of, of actually, I'm going to use it to reference because there was yeah. it's a very small book, but there was so much in it that I, I thought, yeah, I'm going to refer to that. And some of it wasn't relevant to where I am with my life at the moment. And other bits, you go, oh, <laughs> Now, yeah, yeah I get talking, that. Yeah. And it wasn't, there's nothing earth shatteringly new in here. It's just told in a way that enables you to absorb, to process the information differently or to make you recall stuff that you probably already knew but haven't put into practice, which is so often the case with me. And and I like the style of it. As you say, it's a, it's a story and it, it's also... It's not just a story. It's a stories within a story as well, because each of the people. So I don't want to give too much away because I think that's part of the learning experience. But each person that the main character uh, comes across tells their story. So there's Mm. a number of other stories embedded within a larger story. And that enables you to then go on and put together this theory of the pig wrestling and I picked out loads of things. I see scribbles and circles mm, all over mm. here. But one thing, I've just um, flipped the book, and, and one thing that's just popped out to me is, uh, is this quote. In my experience, common sense isn't as common as it should be. 
<laughs> How true is that? Very good point. How yes, that's that? quite early on in the book. Uh, which, which things stand out for you, Heather? Well, I think the overwhelming thing is the way that it is structured. So whether you are a visual person or whether you you know you want to just you just want to read um, and, and make your own opinions. There's something for everybody. So there are summaries, there are there are some visuals, there are some exercises, there are some ex- examples, some stories. So lots of different, there are stories within the story. And the one that I absolutely loved and, and um, read it to my husband last night and we had a, a, quite a long conversation about it. Um, back in 1959, an American industrialist offered a sizable cash prize to the first team who could fly a human-powered aircraft over a one-mile course. Uh, Lots of engineers um, uh, were involved in it, um, but the prize went unclaimed for nearly two decades. Until that is, a team of engineers took a mental step back and realised that the problem, as the other teams were viewing it, had been framed all wrong. This is about reframing. Uh, The other teams were spending all their time designing and building beautiful, lightweight prototypes that could fly and that would be the perfect solution. But what they what the the successful team realised is that they didn't need to design an aircraft that could fly the course first time. That was the wrong frame to view the problem through. What they needed was to design an aircraft that could survive crashing relatively intact. So that meant more attempts at the mile, a quicker turnaround between attempts. So instead of building a plane that could fly, they needed to build a plane that could crash. And that's what you call changing the frame. I love that. I've got another example, and it's it's from the um, framing section. And uh, again, it's a, it's a great little story, and it's it's a true story. Um, it's about Hanoi in 1902. And they had uh, an issue with rats and apparently sort of on biblical plague levels of rats. So instead of hiring pest controllers, the government decided to offer cash for every rat pelt handed in by a member of the public. And it went on that actually they ended up having more rats. It didn't solve the problem. And as it turned out, what happened was people were getting paid to hand in rat skins And so we're breeding rats to do this. (laughs) Of course. And so obviously the problem wasn't that they wanted more dead rats. The issue that they wanted to solve was they wanted to decrease the number of living rats. I thought that was a beautiful example how sometimes our attempts at solving a problem can actually cause another problem. And that that sort of thing exists all the way through the book. He poses a, um, a situation right at the beginning of the book uh, and I still do, I still still don't know what the answer is. <laughs> I'm wondering whether the answer appears at the end of the book because um, I haven't quite got there yet. But yeah, it, it, it's it's brilliant. I think whether it whether you're applying it to business or whether you're pr- applying it to your personal life or even it's if it's just to change the way that you think about somebody and or the way that they work. I think it's got huge value. I think I love it. I love it. So we we can both highly recommend this one and it's called Pig Wrestling, the brilliantly simple way to solve any problem and create the change you need. It's by Pete Lindsay and Mark Borden and we will put a link to that on our website which is thebusiness.community. This week's business leader is a fellow Stokey. 
Uh-huh. In fact, the high school that he went to is the one that I would have gone to if I hadn't have gone to a school in a different town. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's that's a nice, that's, that's the a close, tenuous link. Yes, yes, it's the closest high school to my house, but I didn't go to that one. Yeah, that is quite tenuous, isn't it? Anyway, I do know exactly where all these businesses were, having grown up in Stoke. You know, he's a, a well-known character, and it's John Cordwell. And according to Forbes, his net worth currently is $2.4 billion. If you haven't heard of him before, John founded the mobile phone retailer Phones for You before selling his stake in it. And he was born into a working class family in Stoke and him and his brother Brian started selling mobile phones back in 1987. So a bit of a leader in that area, you could say. Six years later, the brothers founded Single Point, a mobile service provider that was acquired by Vodafone in 2003 for $650 million. The majority of that money went into Phones for You and that grew into the UK's largest independent mobile phone retailer. And three years later, he sold the majority of the stake to private equity partners Providence for $2.8 billion. And in 2011, sold the remaining 25% for $272 million. So, I think he's a a working class lad from Stoke made good. He's um, got his own website, cordwell.com, as uh, the the people we are profiling increasingly have their own websites. And uh, it's a nice, nicely done website. There's uh, information there about his history. There's a section called Opinion. Now, it appears that John hasn't had an opinion since April 2018. I can't believe that to be true. (laughs) But he hasn't published his opinions on his website since April 2018. And uh, he he talks about the way that um, his business grew and... Clearly, the same story is echoed across the different articles that you read about him. So he used to have a car showroom and it's explaining the the thinking behind him developing the mobile phone business, which I think is, is really insightful. So he used to search for cars for his customers and that involved him going to car auctions. And if he'd see a car going through that he thought... Um, would appeal to one of his customers he would have to telephone them now there was only one payphone and a lot of car dealers wanting to do the same thing and he said that that resulted in lots of missed sales so he heard about these this thing called a mobile phone and he didn't know much about them went and researched them found a manufacturer to go and buy one from and so he he bought a single unit for well he was told he could buy one for 1600 pounds Asked the manufacturer if he could do a deal on two, which was agreed, but only on the basis that John would start a dealership for them. And so his car showroom started selling mobile phones. <laughs> and it had, I, I like that, the fact that he was looking for a solution to his problem and then found a business opportunity, which went on to make him a billionaire. I like that. Um, he bought... 26 phones now that's quite an outlay at that sort of price at that time and he went on to sell them to the sort of people who needed mobile phones like my dad my dad had one of the first mobile phones it was 
enormous and it, it, the a battery on it was about the size of a, a, a car battery mm-hmm. and to carry it round you almost needed a little trolley for it really but it was heavy. mobile yeah, yeah. yeah so he sold these it took him nine months but he sold these 26 phones to plumbers taxi drivers television repairman and my dad a removal man and the company made a loss every month for the first two years of operation often say this with businesses, you shouldn't be expecting to make a profit in the first mm-hmm. year, maybe two, if you've got a sustainable business. And I think that sort of proved it. And so his his car business soon became a phone business and the rest is history that I've just told you about. Um, at one point, he was employing 10,000 people across the UK, primarily in the UK. So the head office was in, in Stoke-on-Trent and uh, it was turning over... £2.25 billion when he sold it for £1.5 billion in 2006. And if you're wondering what he's been up to since 2006, on its website, he says he's still involved in business, aviation, property and wealth management. And his primary focus has been on charitable and philanthropic work. More on that later. Heather, what did you find out about John? Well, all of the things that you've mentioned, um, the thing that really just stood out for me is is are the numbers that are involved here in 1987 um to spend 1350 pounds on a mobile phone i mean i wouldn't spend that now you know even no. know even knowing the benefits is, yeah. yeah of of a mobile phone so i think you know he could probably sell sand to the arabs as they, as they say because i i just incredible and and the the punt that he took on that. So I think timing, he was, he was in the right time, right place at the right time, but he had the nerve to see an opportunity and run with it. And I think that that, you know, is incredible because very few of us actually go with that. He's, um, He's a really difficult guy to find out anything about his leadership style or his management style. Apart from some of the newspaper articles. Uh, Yes. I mean, yes. Apart from some controversial um, cases where he has had to um, pay out money um, in order to settle a disagreement. Uh, So he's not he's not what you would call um, um, a a recognised management style or leader. I think it's quite difficult to get to the bottom of that. He seems to spend most of his time now. Um, focusing on health and nutrition. Um, There's a story around him and his family where, in particular, his son, he has a son, and he's spent a lot of his money in getting a diagnosis for his son, who was not very well, um, and for that diagnosis to be Lyme disease. And it turns out that, and I find... I don't know an awful lot about Lyme disease. It's ticks, isn't it? Isn't it? I think it's a. I think so. If you get yes. bitten by a tick, um, but apparently a lot of members of his family have been bitten by ticks. So whether they went on some holiday or something, yeah. I don't know. Himself, his ex-wife, his former partner, and four of his children apparently have yes. Lyme disease. So yeah. So I very unlucky. Very, it is very unlucky because it's a very rare condition. But anyway, so so he now seems to focus, uh, find videos on his social media and um, all over the internet about he only puts into his body things that are nutritionally beneficial and are, are, are going to be good for him. So he he's obviously, he's doing that as part of having discovered, I guess, um, this condition. So a little bit, 
difficult to get to know the man, really. I did find an interview with him uh, and uh, it talks about um, what he thinks entrepreneurship is, um, the challenges of building a high growth business um, and what are the characteristics of a successful founder or CEO. Um, and he said he says that um, he had to lead from the top um, with honesty and transparency and he shared information which I think you know it is is valid and and is really important um but one of the things that he did uh, quite a while ago um I don't know if it's true within the organization now is he banned email internal email so if you had a question for a colleague or you wanted to share some information with a colleague you went and spoke to them or you picked up the phone it was banned internally and he reckoned that that saved his employees three days a month and saved the business a million pounds a month. Wow. Well, I, I imagine that uh, some people will have thought that was great and other people would have hated it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, depending on where, you, yeah. Hmm. I'll just fire off an email and hope it goes away. But um, but interesting strategy, interesting technique. Uh, so the other thing I noticed about um, philanthropy, so he's he's involved in charities, mm. um, a, a children's charity and uh, a, a Lyme disease charity. But he's also one of the first UK people to have signed the Giving Pledge. Oh, yes. So I, I went out, I didn't know what the Giving Pledge was, but uh, it's an effort to apparently to help address society's most pressing problems by inviting the world's wealthiest individuals to commit more than half of their wealth to philanthropy or charitable causes either during their lifetime or in their will. So if you go onto that website, so you can see uh, the great and the good with, the, with their pledges. And um, they actually put the letter that the person wrote saying why they're doing it and, and you know what their plans are. There's, a, there's actually a scanned copy of oh. each letter. So oh, John's wow. letter was actually oh. on there as well. So that's worth having a look at. There'll, there'll be no shortage of articles. So there was a high court case back in 2017, 2018 um, to do with... Um, um, his financial advisor, who'd um, claimed unfair dismissal. She actually won, but for not quite as much money as she was hoping. And then there's articles in The Guardian where he's addressing his management style, described as hard to bullying. Um, but he says he's very demanding, yes, and he, he expects people to work very, very hard. So you can draw your own conclusions there. That's pretty much all we've got time for this week. Do join us again next week. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. Join us next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.